listening to America's Web Radio. And now time for the Classic Car Show with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber. Hi, this is Kim on America's Web Radio, the Classic Car Show and Cars with Kim. Today we're talking to Craig Conley from Paradise Wheels, and we're going to talk about the all-important pre-purchase inspection, or PPI. Basically, uh, what you should be doing if you're considering the purchase of a collector car uh, that's worth anything more than just a little bit of money. If you're not an expert on the car and 100% confident that you know every little nuance about the car, this is a great show to be listening to because uh, we're going to explore the pre-purchase inspection. So I know Craig's on the line, and uh, Craig, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your business, and then go ahead and define um, a pre-purchase inspection, which is something you do and have years and years of experience doing. So uh, go ahead, Craig. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me on. Um, Pre-purchase inspections are something that's probably really important for, especially as these cars get uh, worth a lot of money. Um, my business is really all related to the Shelby Mustangs. I've been involved with Shelby Mustangs for about 40 years now, and um, you really want to get an expert specific to the car that you're looking at, and it's really important. Um, and my forte is, of course, the Shelby Mustangs, and after um, working on them, restoring them, making parts for these cars, you become, you know, it wasn't something that I went to school for, but it's basically something that you immerse yourself in, and you're going to be a natural expert at this. And, um, you know, over the years, I've been hired to go look at these cars from people and consult on them, um, evaluate them, and then help them purchase or even uh, and sell them as well. So, um, you know, Craig, if uh, if somebody wasn't lucky enough to know someone like you who's an expert on a Shelby Mustang or a Corvette, uh, suppose one of our listeners has decided, you know, he sees a car online or is watching one of the auctions and he wants to buy a uh, a Pontiac 1972 Pontiac Firebird. Um, but doesn't know where to go, um, where would he find somebody to do a pre-purchase inspection, and how would he know that that person really knows all the nuances of a Pontiac Firebird um, like you do with the Shelbys? You know, Jim, the, the, probably the best way is to um, is get references. Um, you can go into, like, play uh, uh, magazines like uh, Hemi's Motor News or go on the Internet and start exploring around. But I think the best way to go about it is to um, go to, like, local car shows, start meeting some people that um, have maybe the car that you're trying to look at and ask them. Maybe they might have a reference to somebody, and then if you could do maybe a small interview, if they do give you a reference. Um, but you really want to find somebody who's got a background that, has, that is specific to the car you're dealing with. A general inspector is great for cars that are, you know, don't have a lot of value, um, but as, you, as these cars get, become very valuable and as some of these cars are very specialized in 
uh, uniqueness or provenance. They, you really want a guy or a girl, for that matter, that would be specific to that car and have a lot of experience, uh, possibly somebody who has restored them, um, has uh, been around them for a long time. And if you can get um, involved with maybe a car and coffee uh, event or something like that, that you can get around to talk to a lot of people before you uh, just pick somebody out, um, you know, off the Internet or, or out of a magazine or something. So uh, you really want to be specific. I, you would think that um, what you're paying for the pre-purchase inspection, you know, the fee, would be indicative of the inspector's experience. But as I take a look through Hemings Motor News as a good example, what inspectors charge seems to be all over the place. Um, there's flat fees. I see a flat fee here of $250. I see another flat fee of $500. I see some where they want travel expenses. I see some that are hourly. Um, it, it's really all over the place. Um, if somebody wants to hire a true expert in the field, uh, what should they expect to pay and is when the inspector asks for travel expenses, if he's going to be doing some traveling, um, is that reasonable? Yes, yeah, uh, yes, Tim. You know, most, uh, I mean, I basically work on an hourly basis, and, you know, time is money, so if you've got to travel, it's got to be sort of the part of the expense. Um, um, I charge $150 an hour to inspect the car, but, um, and it can add up, you know, especially with some travel time. But um, usually, along with that expense, it's, it's not so much that this person is spending this kind of money and he's going to maybe purchase this car. It, that, that money goes a long way to either uh, leave it as you're not going to buy that car or you would actually help him negotiate that car. So that money that, you, that goes into a PPI is well worth it, especially when you're dealing with cars with values of of over fifty, a hundred grand, a couple hundred thousand dollars. You know, the the maybe the five hundred or a thousand dollars you spend on a PPI can go a long way to either help negotiate the car because now you know a lot more about it, or possibly pass on the car that you might have saved fifty thousand dollars because you passed on this car because it wasn't exactly what you thought it was. So, um, so it sounds like very... you're saying that mm -hmm. it, it feels like you're saying that if somebody hires you, um, I would assume that you would like to you and the potential buyer to go see the car. Um, you may see things that uh, aren't quite what you thought they were going to be. Attach exactly. a value to them, and then kind of manage the conversation between the buyer and the seller. Uh, talking about the things you see that aren't right, and then, of course, because you're an expert in the field and you're in the restoration business, you're going to be able to attach a value to them. Um, if there's a, an air cleaner missing that's virtually irreplaceable, you're going to know that, yes, it, the air cleaner is wrong, but the odds of finding one, it might take a year, and then you might spend $2,000 for it. Um, or you could point out the fact that, you know, these are, there's a couple parts on here that look right, but they're reproduction parts, 
that affects the value mm-hmm. of the car. So you will, you'll actually, um, you know, somebody might be going in thinking they're going to spend $100,000 for a car. They may still want the car, but may only end up paying $75,000 after you've, you know, had a little right. bit of a conversation about what's up. Uh, what is and isn't correct about the car. So that uh, yep. even if they're paying you $2,500, that's still uh, still a great value. Sure, because uh, part of the uh, part of the, what I do for the for the client is I'm basically representing them and looking after their best interests. So part of that would be say, hey, look, you know, they're asking say $100,000, but you know, you're going to have to spend probably five or ten thousand dollars to find some of the unique stuff that is missing on the car or it's not quite exactly restored properly or, or something in the, in the sense that the car is going to have to be at a lower value and um, negotiate it, negotiate it. And it, it's, now, uh, it's, it's really important. Are the sellers ever, um, ever surprised? I'm sure they are. Um, what, what percentage of sellers do you think are actually very surprised at your findings because they probably didn't know about some of the issues that you point out versus sellers that you're fairly confident did know that the car had a couple issues and were just hoping the buyer wouldn't see them. So how, how does yeah, that, that play out? That, ha- that, that scenario plays out a lot. Sometimes um, sometimes the, the seller is pretty angry uh, at me because I'm – you know, able to point out stuff on their car that they didn't know, and it's not, you know it's kind of like killing the messenger. It's not that they're so much angry at me personally. It's just that they're angry that they missed this when they purchased the car, and they didn't know it. It was not dis- disclosed at time of when they bought it, or they didn't have a uh, an expert look at the car for them, and they think it is such uh, it's a great car in, in such a certain way. And then somebody comes along and says, well, it's not exactly what we thought it was. So, yeah, it, 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 sometimes the scenario does not play out very well. But, um, you know, I'm diplomatic about it and try to, you know, smooth it out for everybody because, you know, I'm not really there to pick at somebody's car. I'm really more there, more or less, they purchase the, purchase the car if it, is, it turns out to be a good car, but just might be not exactly what he thought it was. It might be missing some parts or Maybe it had a little bit more body work done than, than he thought it was, or the paint's not as original in all areas as he thought it was. So that, that does play out. Um, but, it's, it, you know, it's hard to put a percentage on it. I've looked at a lot of cars, and, um, you know, it seems like every car I look at, it, it you know, it's, it's a little different. Now, um, I guess we'll, we'll go through a little bit about uh, we've got maybe – two minutes or so before we have to go to a commercial break, but we'll start on a topic um, that's also very important because um, when somebody decides they want a car, um, they need to to understand what they're looking for um, because the highest sort of level of car right now, I guess, would be um, point, point Concor restoration, a car that's basically been perfectly restored and not driven. And then, of course, there's the barn finds, which are wonderful and exciting because they're usually untouched, low-mileage cars, but you also probably can't drive them because, one, they're Mm -hmm. so valuable and they're only original ones, and, two, 
the tires and the belts and hoses and everything are 50 years old, and if you drove the car 200 miles, a lot of things would break, and that would devalue the car. So I imagine that you consider part of your job kind of buyer, the buyer, the buyer, the person that hires you to make sure that he's actually buying the car he wants and can do with exactly. what he wants. So yeah. we'll kind of, I've got about a minute left, we'll sort of start that topic, go to a commercial, and then um, come back, pick it up again, um, and then uh, continue our conversation about uh, how to buy a car, pretty much. So, oh, all right, yeah. Uh, yeah what do you ask the buyer when they first call you? Well, the, the first thing you want to find out is, is exactly that, is what do they want? What are they looking for? What price range they're expecting to pay for, what they're looking for, um, and what their intended use of the car is. Because uh, with Shelby Mustangs, some people call me, they're looking for strictly a show car to take to shows. Some people are looking for strictly a project car. They want to do the restoration themselves. There's some people that want to race the car, so they want to have a vintage race car. They want something that maybe has some race history or something like that. So once I find out what they're looking for, um, it's, it's very helpful because this way I don't have to waste their time or my time. Uh, I can go directly to look for something that, uh, that they're interested in. So Great. Well, this, um, is, uh, this is Kim on Cars with Kim, the classic car show on America's Web Radio. We're talking to uh, Craig Conley and uh, about pre-purchase inspections, and we'll be back after a couple commercials. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. This is Tim on the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. We're talking with Craig Conley about pre-purchase inspections. And uh, we left off with um, talking about when people people call Craig thinking, uh, I found this car, 
Um, I'm all excited about it, and they hire Craig to do a pre-purchase inspection. Um, and I'm sure that what happens occasionally is the car is just just something that uh, should not be bought for one reason or another. Um, Craig, have you ever talked anybody out of purchasing a car? Maybe it happens over the phone before you even go see the car, or maybe it happens when you're standing there with your client in front of the car. Uh, but I'm sure there are times when you've just said this really, really sh- isn't anything you should buy. Is that that happen? Yes, Kim. It's uh, you know every scenario is different, but uh, sometimes I usually try to talk to the people over the phone first. They should first call me, and then I ask them a series of questions about the car. And sometimes they give me enough information over the phone that I I basically tell them either because of uh, price point or because of what the car I see, uh, the scenario playing out as that it's probably not going to be a car they're going to want to uh, buy, either because they have certain requirements that it's not going to fill or price point is either way too high on the car for the, for the value of the car or possibly stuff that I've, I see in pictures that they send me or stuff that they tell me about the car that I would probably recommend that they find another car. Um, there's been times when I've gone out on inspections, everything looking good, you know, make sure that this is the car that they want. I'll go out, get hired, go out and look at this car, and then I'll find stuff that was not disclosed on the car, and, um, you know, either it cannot be negotiated or it's something that I find that's just too severe for my client to um, to purchase. It winds up being sometimes just being ugly. What's that, Kim? Do you, prefer, do you prefer to have the client with you when you do the pre-purchase inspection, or would you rather uh, they not be there, um, I guess because you may have to negotiate some things with the seller. So what's easier for you, to have your client with you or to have your client not with you? You know, if it's, a, if it's at all possible, uh, you know, as far as proximity, I always do like to have the client there because, uh, first, it's nice to meet the client and, and even get a, a better feel for what he's looking at, and then sometimes... It's something that I can educate him on at the time. Um, I can look at the car with him. He can ask me certain questions. Um, and uh, it, it's much better to have the client there because I can actually maybe give him some, some fodder for, to, uh, to help negotiate the car into a better price range or basically show him why I am saying that, you know, maybe we should pass on this car and look for a better car. So, yes. So yeah, your client's really getting... Yeah, they're getting a school, basically. You know, when somebody hires you or another expert to do a pre-purchase inspection, um, they're not only getting good advice on whether or not to buy a certain car and what to pay for it, but you're really schooling them on, in your case, how to buy a Shelby. Um, sure. So that's, sure. Uh, it, may, it really kind of doubles the value of the service you're providing. And maybe if they don't buy the particular car you're looking at, uh, they can go look at the next one and get farther along in the process before they have to hire you or someone else again. So that, sure, uh, sure. that, works, that works well. I think it's, a, it's good all the way around. It's, um, and it's never, you know, I always love to, um, uh, I mean, I'm always learning about cars, uh, you know, it's particularly the Shelby American stuff. Um, but it's always nice to um, uh, make people understand a little bit more about the car, and this way they can make a better uh, judgment when they go out seeking another car. 
um, they have a little bit more information about what to look for and what to ask, what kind of questions to ask the prospective uh, seller. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's always great. You talked about when um, people initially contact you, uh, what is very helpful is if they would have, before they call anybody for a pre-purchase inspection, um, they should probably have a list of information and maybe some photographs uh, already. You know, you don't want to just call someone like yourself and say, I'm thinking of buying a 1966 GT350, um, and all they have is a three-line ad and a phone number. So I'm sure it's easier for you, easier for them, and saves them a little money if they've already contacted the seller, got some basic questions answered, and probably have a set of pictures. So um, can you tell us a little bit about what you would like to see in initial email pictures before you actually go see the car, and what answers to what type of questions someone should have before they call an expert to do and set up a pre-purchase inspection? Well, on, on the Shelby American cars, Kim, they, they all have uh, a specific serial number. And these serial numbers are well documented in the um, Shelby Automobile, American Automobile Club uh, registry. And it's a, it's a registry that has been extensively researched and put together by Rick Kopech at the um, Shelby Club, and he has this uh, book that's I think it's around 12 or 1400 pages with all the history that we know about each and every car that Shelby American built. So first and foremost, um, I get a serial number of the car that they're prospectively wanting to buy, and then I do some homework on that serial number from what is in the registry. And then I usually require the, the, the client to um, get current photographs of the car, interior, engine compartment, you know, all the way around, and it's at all possible, possibly the undercarriage as well. And I'll take those pictures and I'll just do a little homework from the registry, see if it, if it makes sense with the pictures, see if everything kind of lines up, and then uh, I'll ask them specific questions about, um, you know, certain aspects of the car like background history, how much work has ever been done to it, has it ever been an accident, um, has it, uh, how many times has it been painted if they know, um, you know has the motor been rebuilt. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of things that um, you know, you'd normally ask any kind of car, but uh, the Shelby American cars with the serial numbers, it's really important that I have the serial number first. So um, after that, if I do some uh, my due diligence with um, the pictures and his information, go through the registry, then I'm ready probably to look at the car if everything lines up. Okay. When you're, I'm sure you see things, and part of a, a reason not to buy a car is something is just not as the, the buyer thought it would be or not as you thought it would be. What are kind of the top most uh misrepresented or misinterpreted things that you see on a car once you actually uh, go and take a look? Well, everybody's idea of what a good car is is, is is subjective. It's, you know, somebody who has a nicely painted car thinks everything else must be perfect because it's nice and shiny. But uh, probably the biggest thing that's misrepresented is is the, uh, the quality of, of the restoration or the quality of the car 
per se, um, even with, if it hasn't been regis- uh, restored. Um, you know, sheet metal uh, condition is a big factor nowadays. People are very concerned about rust repair, old accident repair, and the integrity of the body because now these cars are, you know, approaching 50 years old. You know, there's, there could be anything in its history that happened that maybe was hidden damage prior to this even uh, present uh, owner knowing about. So that's probably one of the biggest things that I see that um, when I go to inspect a car, that's what we really look after is we get around the body, look at body lines, um, check for how thick the paint is, make sure there's not a whole lot of bongo in it and, and fillers and, uh, and accident repair. Now on, the, on all Ford produced cars, um, which the Shelby American cars were done at Ford, is there's date codes on all the sheet metal. So uh, I'm looking at date codes around on the car to make sure the date codes line up with the production date of the car because if there's layered dates in the sheet metal of the car, then when the, when the car was made, that obviously this car has had uh, been repaired either extensively or possibly just maybe a fender or something like that. But um, every single piece of sheet metal in the car will have a date code. And I try to find as many of those as possible and see if they all line up. Uh, even major components on the car have date codes, stuff like steering boxes, engine blocks, uh, transmissions, rear ends, housings. Uh, uh, everything would have a certain code that Ford would have put in there um, at time of manufacture because um, they needed to date everything in case there was a problem with a certain run of, of say, uh, engine blocks. Uh, they would scrap everything from that day or something. They would pull all those blocks with that date code and scrap them and start over or something. So um, date codes are real important on a car. That's probably one of the biggest things I do look at, and it's, it's one of the things that usually is misrepresented. They, they just assume since the car's together, you know, it's all that original sheet metal or whatever, but that's, that's probably one of the biggest things. Now, date codes, um, if I'm correct, are stamped as opposed to um, cast. So is it possible, has Shelby's gotten to the point of where uh, people are taking a reproduction fender um, and actually stamping a date code into it? Do you see that at all? Yeah, uh, there, there's, there's uh, sheet metal is usually stamped. Uh, engine mm-hmm. blocks are cast with a date code. Rear end uh, pumpkins are cast with a date code. And um, those, the cast parts are very difficult to sort of fake, as you would say, um, right. a date. But the sheet metal, yeah, you could basically, I think a lot of people have, you know, to try to keep the car as original as possible, they, if their fender had gotten damaged, say, um, beyond repair, they would cut the uh, date code out, uh, and then they would weld that date code back into a new fender in the proper place, and then basically metal finish it or hammer weld it in metal finish it so you really can't tell, and then they've got a fender that's got a proper date code in it. Um, sometimes, you know, in a concourse restoration or something like that, this is the kind of stuff that they would have to do because if they can't find the proper date-coded fender or, or sheet metal part, they would they would basically duplicate it from the old part. So hiring an expert like yourself, um, you could, you know, where to look, where welds, where welds are, things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes yeah. people look and they they see a date code but it might be in the wrong spot um you know it it could be something that somebody 
is trying to fake, and it takes an expert and someone who has actually restored the cars like yourself to uh, sure. to notice that there's just there's something that's not uh, not quite right. Well, in uh, in right. a minute here, we're going to take a commercial break, but uh, after after the commercial, we're going to talk about uh, the numbered conditions of a car. Um, if you look at uh, one of the value guides. You see condition number one, condition number two. Sometimes it goes all the way to five. Sometimes it goes all the way to ten. And, and particularly yeah. with a, a number one car, um, the definition of exactly what a number one car is is all over the place. Um, so we'll, uh, in just uh, just a minute here, we'll talk about that and see if we can add a little clarity to the situation. Yes. But uh, we're going to take a break. Yes. And... Uh, Craig and I'll be back in just a minute. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. This is Kim on the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio, and we are back with uh, Craig talking about pre-purchase inspections, basically how to buy a car, and Craig is going to... Uh, we talk about the condition of a car and how it's rated on a scale of 1 through 5, 1 to 10. Uh, Craig is also an, a certified appraiser for an ADA, which most people are familiar with. So uh, he's, uh, he's got a lot of things to talk about. Craig? Well, well, Kim, everybody's idea of what a condition of a car is sort of up in the air. It's subjective. You know, NADA uses a, a low, average, and high sort of standard for them uh, uh, valuing cars. You know, low being basically a car that is um, in probably need of restoration, probably might not even be running, maybe missing some parts, had some prior damage, maybe some issues. Average is going to be a car that's a, a, a probably a, just a decent driver, maybe not having all its original parts, maybe needing a few things, paint's a little tired, but uh, a decent driver um, and, and mechanically sound. Uh, high, would, in their estimation, is going to be a car that's sort of aberrational high. Uh, 
a concourse car that some people would consider concourse, a fully restored car, a car that has exceptional value, maybe special history or whatever. So the value would be extremely high, um, way over average. So anyway, that's how NADA does it um, on values. Most people sometimes talk about like a one, two, three condition or a one through five or a one through ten condition. And basically a number one car would be a car that would be basically considered perfect, perfectly restored, concourse condition. You know, you've heard all of the nomenclature. I mean, it's always something that is an outstanding car, number one car. No issues, no problems, well sorted, perfect condition car. You know, as it gets into a number two or number three on a scale from one to three, basically a number two would be an average car, and a number three car would be uh, a car that's probably in fairly poor condition needing restoration. You know, one to five, again, it just spreads out the conditions. Uh, number one being perfect, two being near not, not, not a bad car, but not perfect, number three being a nice car, average car, and going down the line. And then basically a one to five, number ten. A number 10 car is going to be a car that just basically needs everything, uh, you know, a ba you know, a basically yeah. a project car. So um, you know, that kind of, that, that's how people's run some kind of car, like their car, like saying, you know, guys in the kinds of, sometimes they say, well, I've got a number two car. And that means, yeah, it's not perfect, but it would be a pretty exceptional car when you go to see it. So take that into consideration. Uh, somebody mentions those numbers. Yeah, I'm thinking a number two car, um, if I was buying a number two car, I would expect to be able to go to um, a local car show, uh, one that might have 200 cars, everybody coming lives within 100 miles of the show, um, and do pretty well. Certainly um, have people look at it, appreciate it, maybe not get first place in the show, but maybe get second or third. Um, a number Absolutely. one. When I think of a number one car, um, I have a couple cars that um, I've restored, and they they might have uh, black paint under the hood. Um, uh, uh, maybe the engine's black, uh, the radiator's black, black, and other other um, and the um, the starter's black. But some might be gloss black, semi-gloss black, black, black or something in between. I know I have one car that has base five, five different blacks on it. It came, from, it came from the factory, and we custom custom mixed all those to get just the right degree of shine. Um, it also has bolts that are basically CAD-plated natural, but with the different brands of bolts, the natural color of CAD wasn't always the same. So we changed mm -hmm. the color of silver CAD on the bolts. Um, to me, that's a true number one car, absolutely exactly as it came from the factory. Um, and my number one cars also seems a little ridiculous, but we trailer them around to shows. They're not driven. And that's always a big debate when I go to a Concours. Um, if a car is driven, like cars might, might have a, a tour that's associated or it's or it's 100 yeah. miles, um, then, and then a car is exposed to maybe a little bit of moisture, you get some oxidation on components, uh, judges will say, well, once that's to a, into a car, you see even just a little bit of wear on things, um, a little bit of oxidation, a little bit of dirt, 
it's no longer a number one car because it's not as new. Other people will debate, well, a car is meant to be driven. You need to keep it running. It's perfectly restored. Even though there's a tiny bit of wear, it's still a number one car. So that's kind of a... That's uh, always a big uh, a big question. Can you weigh in on that a little bit? Yeah, the, a, a number one car to me almost is not a car that can be driven because it will go downhill immediately when you start driving it. Mm-hmm. Now, Pebble Beach, Pebble Beach, Pebble Beach Concourse in August, uh, they have a preservation class now because they've had a lot over-restore cars to the point where they can't drive them um, because any kind of, I mean, even dirt between the tire tread means that it's not perfect. So um, they have a, a, a tour that goes on the concourse, concourse, and people that are on the tour, that run the tour, do not get any points taken off for stuff like grime and road grime and stuff in the tires and, and a little patina on the car because um, they do want these people to enjoy them as well, um, not only show them but to enjoy them. And a number one car, yeah, I would say probably should be a car that, is not going to be driven. It's probably going to be trailer to a car show. It's perfect. You're going to roll it out. You're going to roll it back in, and you're just not even barely even run the car. Um, so, uh, my um, my feeling is that uh, I think nowadays people are more into enjoying the car, and um, I think that uh, a number one car can still be a car that's driven. Um, you know, being mechanically perfect, uh, look very presentable. Um, I, I wouldn't hesitate, you know, to lift a car that has been driven out a bit and enjoyed a bit to still keep a number one uh, condition. Um, you know, I'm the, sure uh, in your, the yes, I'm sure in your uh, in your travels uh, with everything the years and over the years, you've probably seen interesting interesting things on your pre-purchase uh, inspection. Um, in the five minutes or so that we've got left on the show, can you just share maybe a couple of uh, couple stories our listeners would find interesting about your pre-purchase inspection adventures? Well, I, yeah, I have been on many, and, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, there's a lot of that, that uh, happens where, I actually get called in on a pre-purchase inspection, but it's not exactly a pre-purchase inspection. It's more or less uh, a after-purchase inspection where the people have talked to me about a car, they go out and they actually look at it, and they wind up thinking that it's such a great deal, they wind up buying it without me uh, going there with them or helping them out at the time of purchase. They wind up just getting... Uh, just overly excited. And um, I had a situation like this with a very good client up in Los Angeles that wound up buying a, a car in Florida over the phone because he thought it was so such a great, uh, such a great deal. Anyway, he had it uh, trailered and transferred to my, to my shop and asked me to inspect the car. Now, mind you, he's already paid for this car. Um, the car gets here, um, um, and this car... <laughs> wound up being cut in half at some point during its life and sectioned in half because it was so rusty that the back half of the car was not savable, and they grafted another Mustang actually to the back of this Shelby Mustang. And um, henceforth, I had to be the bearer of bad news after it got here that this car had some serious sheet metal issues. Um, And I asked him if there was any way he could unwind the deal, but... uh, he, he could not. 
And um, he was very disappointed, of course, but um, he decided to, to keep the car, and uh, we did some sorting out on the car and some mechanical stuff to get it to be a, a good driver for him, but uh, he learned his lesson. He, um, he said, uh, boy, I thought I was getting such a great deal, and I could not go wrong, and the guy promised me this car was a fabulous car, and it looked great in pictures, but, you know, you really have to go look or have somebody, at least somebody that has some knowledge on an automobile, to look at a, to look at a car for you if you don't have that knowledge, because it, it can turn into a nightmare. Um, that, uh, kind of when, it's, when it sounds too good to be true, it usually is, basically. It, it, yeah, it or, is. It is. It, there's no there's free lunch. I mean, if, if it's a fabulous deal, it would have already been sold to a neighbor or, or a relative or something like that. And that, those are the only kind of deals that you would probably really get. Um, if it's out in the, the advertised and it's a unbelievable deal, you better go look at it because there's a there is a reason why it's such a fabulous deal. So that would be and with things my, like the yeah, maybe 25 years ago before the internet, um, some of the stories about you know the little old lady selling her uh, late husband's car and doesn't know what it's worth. Uh, there were some deals to be had, but today, yeah. when literally in less than a minute, uh, you can go online and get a, a basic groundwork uh, from NADA or something else to find out what what a car should be worth. Um, it just goes to show why would anybody advertise a car at significantly less than market value? Um, That's it right. just doesn't. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. Now, is there any when a car is something that dramatic, like it's basically two cars that have been joined together to make one? Is there any legal recourse with that? Um, do you ever advise people to? It's so bad, maybe to call an attorney. Um, or well, is something yes, I, I have. I have been involved in situations where. People have purchased a car. It was totally misrepresented. I'm usually called in after the fact, you know, again, just as an expert witness to testify in court on why the car has been misrepresented. I, I've, got, I've, been, uh, I've been called in on those situations. Yes, you, most, most of the time everything is pretty much as is, and there's, unless you really want to spend the money to hire an attorney, um, you can Obviously, Sue, the problem is it's usually if you buy a car out of state, you've got to sue them in that state. That requires a lot of travel. Um, and most of the time, if it's a $20,000 car or a $50,000 car, it almost is not even worth it because you can rack up uh, attorney fees and travel fees and court fees of $20,000, $30,000 in a heartbeat. It doesn't take any time right. at all. So if it's a million-dollar car, you know, half a million dollar car. Yes, I think it's worth fighting because, and there has been some really big court cases about that. It's um, and not only just a misrepresentation. Sometimes it's ownership problems where a car was left somewhere, and um, you know, there's no titles and, and there's no paperwork, and things get sold, and then some people, after the fact, find out that a very valuable car. Then they start saying, "Well, I really did own it," and there's there's a lot of conflict uh, where um, the ownership uh, is, is sort of in um, negotiations and you're going to have to fight to, to keep a car or, uh, or try to do some homework and, and get uh, past history laid out so uh, you, know, you can get a title made for the car. And there's it all kinds of problems that can arise. That's why documentation 
on the car is, is utmost important. That's one of the things I do look at when I do inspect a car is, is, is after we take a look at the car, I do ask for, you know, look at title and make sure the title is, is proper for the state that it's, uh, it's in, you know, documentation, past history, um, past owners, make sure ownership chain can be um, looked at. Uh, there's, there, documentation is also a very important aspect of, uh, of a car, looking at it. Paperwork is, uh, is very important. Okay, well, we'll, uh, we'll get into that uh, in just a few minutes. And uh, right now we're going to take, uh, take a little break for a commercial. Stay with us on America's Web Radio, the classic car show. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio, the classic car show and Cars with Tim. We're talking today about pre-purchase inspections. Um, everything you should know about a car before you make the final decision, pull the trigger, and buy the car. Um, next on our list is documentation for the car. Uh, that's very important um, as the market kind of cools down. Um, Documented cars are always a little bit of cut above those without documents, uh, particularly for certain makes. We've been talking about Shelby's, um, Corvettes, or another one. Anything where uh, the information is out there and having everything correct on the car, such as a matching engine, um, undisturbed bodywork, things like that, all that should be uh, to have the maximum value in a car backed up with documentation. And the ideal car would be would come with a big, thick folder of documentation. And the time to read everything in that folder is before you make the purchase. Um, that can be a big clue to the car's history. It's kind of like the car's baby book. So if you're sitting there with two inches of documentation, start going through the receipts and read them carefully and make a list of everything that's been done to the car. For instance, if the car is being sold as all original, original interior, as you go through the receipts, what you don't want to see is a receipt for brand new seat covers. So really go through, you know, don't you can ignore oil changes and things like that, but look carefully. Um, look at the maintenance, the 
maintenance that's been done, any body work, anything that says body shop, where if the car is being sold as having never been in an accident and you see things from a body shop, take a careful look. If it's supposed to be truly all numbers matching and you see there's a money in there for a replacement carburetor, that's a red flag because most carburetors are numbered, have tags on them, and should be original to the car. So before money exchanges hands, sit down with this big folder, take a look through it, and make sure everything is as you want it to be. Other things that are included as part of the documentation package might be things like the original owner's manual, the original warranty book, and some of the original brochures. Well, on cars that are valuable, the majority of those things have been reprinted, sometimes legally. Um, there might have been a first printing of an owner's manual, say the car's in 1965, that was the first printing. Then in 1975, if it's a Ford, maybe Ford authorized another printing. Well, a reprint is never going to be as valuable as the original because it's not what came with the car. There's also many, many, many illegal reprints floating around on websites like eBay and things like that. So back in the 60s and 70s, just about everything that was printed had a date on it. Um, the owner's manual, the brochures, the shop manual, either maybe in the lower corner of the cover or the title page, somewhere you're probably going to find a date of printing. Well, the date, obviously, should be before the car was manufactured. Uh, for instance, with Triumph TR3s, uh, the owner's manual was reprinted every two years. So if your car is in 1958 and it's supposed to have the original owner's manual and it's dated 1960, it might be a correct real owner's manual, but it's not the original one that came with the car. So look at things carefully. Make sure the dates are what they should be. Um, also, when you're looking at things, a way to tell a reprint, reprints look different than the original material did. Um, even with as good as technology is, it's difficult to get it to look like the original. Anything that's in color, if it's a color brochure, a color owner's manual, or even a color ad, there's some original sales literature for cars that can be hundreds if not thousands of dollars just because very few copies are issued. So if somebody's selling what's supposed to be an original brochure for a car, look at it carefully. If it's printed in color, look at it under a magnifying glass. Everything that looks full color to your eye is actually, when you examine it closely, made up of a series of small dots. And to reprint something, Basically, a camera takes a picture of those small dots and then prints them again. So they're never going to look as clear the second time as they did the first time. So look at a supposedly original brochure with your naked eye. It should look nice and clear. Then look at it under a magnifying glass. Look at those dots and make sure that they're nice and clear and round. If they start to look mottled or in a moray pattern, it's probably some sort of a reprint, forgery, something like that. When you get to like the black and white portions of a supposedly real owner's manual or brochure, um, every time there's a reprint or a second generation, black type gets a little bit thicker. Going back to the Shelby GT350s, there are not many 
original owner's manuals out there when you get to 1965, 1966 Shelby's. Most of them are reprints. In the center section, there's a line drawing of the car. And most people realize that a 66, 65 GT350 had stripes going across the bottom of the car. In this line drawing, every time it's been copied, the stripes get a little thicker with each generation of copies to the point of if it's like a third-generation reprint, the three stripes are so thick they've almost become one. So when I look at a brochure to see if it's original, that's the first thing I do. I look and make sure that all the type is thin and clear and crisp and not, uh, not all run together. The next thing we're going to talk about is provenance. That's a, a big buzzword is my car is valuable because of the provenance the car has. And a lot of people don't really seem to know what that is, um, what makes the car special. Well, what it is, it's your particular car. It's not the model. You know, maybe your car is a rare model, but they made 500 of them. The provenance is specific to your car. Uh, an example would be maybe an early, very, very early, or a very late production car. If your car was built uh, in the first couple of days or the last couple of days, it might have some unique features. An example would be we had a 1971 Corvette that was built on the third day of production. It had an option on it for headlight washers. Corvette technically didn't offer headlight washers on their 1971 model. These must have been left over from 1970. They were building the cars on the assembly line. These headlight washers were there. This car wasn't ordered by any person. It was just being produced and going to a dealer. And GM thought, what the heck, we have these headlight washers. Let's just put them on the car. So it was very, very unusual and probably one of the very few 1971 Corvettes that had headlight washers. And the same thing can happen on the back end. Um, if a particular was car, a car was built on the very last days of production, particularly if it was, you know, the end of a model, uh, factories ran out of things. Um, we, again, have a car that it is a 1968 Triumph TR250, and it's jasmine yellow. Uh, jasmine yellow was only available with a black interior. Our car has a tan interior. And I wrote to the British Heritage Motor Trust. They have all the production records. And they wrote me back and said, your car was built the last day of production. It looks as though Triumph had run out of black interiors. So they made one yellow car with a tan interior, which we have, and another yellow car with a red interior, which ended up being shipped to Germany. So that's kind of the provenance of the car. It makes these particular cars very unique. Other examples would be, Maybe celebrity ownership. Um, the Steve McQueen cars have gotten, or motorcycles have gotten a lot of publicity lately. Um, that's great. Some, it's more valuable depending on who the celebrity is. You know, Steve McQueen was very into cars, um, so that, uh, that makes them more valuable. And it really needs to be documented. Um, maybe a copy of a title in the celebrity's name or pictures of the celebrity with the car that can be proven something like that. Um, also for provenance, a magazine test car. 
um, we have a friend, they have an Alfa Romeo, it's 1964, road and track used their particular car um, on the road test. And matter of fact, they had a, a pretty big accident with the car and repaired it and didn't repair it all that well. Uh, the car still shows the accident damage. Normally that would devalue the car, but in the case of this one, because it was the road and track test car and ended up on the cover of the magazine, it's actually adding to the car's story and adding to the car's value. Um, another part of the provenance would be a race history. Um, if your car was raced by somebody famous, raced at a, a famous event like uh, Daytona or Le Mans, and again, all that can be proven. There's stickers on the car, there's paperwork with the car, something like that. Um, that is all adding to the value. Um, but again, everything like this, all the provenance, you need to be able to, to prove it. It has to be authenticated, otherwise it's basically just, uh, just urban legend. All right, let's, uh, let's summarize kind of what we've talked about today. The show is focusing on pre-purchase inspections, the goal being to try to avoid buying a car that you regret. Um, just to sum it up for a minute, um, the first thing is don't rush into a purchase. Um, don't, you know, the, don't succumb to pressure by the seller. He's got other people interested. Um, if it's a little bit of money, don't, uh, don't rush into it. Preferably go see the car. If that is absolutely impossible, get plenty of photos. Um, I like to think of 50 photographs um, of every little area of the car. If the seller is reluctant to take photos or you have to ask again and again and you don't see them, um, let that be a red flag. Look through the documentation. Review everything. Um, look for red flags in there. Get the VIN number of the car and just type the VIN number into Google. You'll be surprised what comes up. Sometimes it's, I've seen previous owners, contact information for previous owners. Uh, check the registries. Um, there's a Shelby registry. There's the British Motor Heritage Trust. Uh, there's um, documentation for Pontiacs. Many of the, many of the major makes, um, somebody has the documentation and probably a build sheet for the car. So if that doesn't come with the car, it's not part of the documentation, do some research, try to find it before you make the purchase. Then contact an expert. Um, if you're going to pay somebody to look at the car, make sure they know that particular model. There are some just general people out there. They run ads, we'll go look at a car, it's $500. I've had some experience with those people. They've come to my house, and they are basically just picture takers. Um, I could tell that they really didn't know, in some cases, not very much about cars, and in other cases, not very much about that particular model. Um, I've had them where they didn't even know how to open the trunk. So. Hire, find an expert on that particular car, and if you're going to spend money, hire them. And we'd like to thank uh, Craig Conley, our guest today, from Paradise Wheels in San Marcos, California. Um, if you need to know anything about a Shelby, if you're considering buying one or need work done on a Shelby, uh, look up Paradise Wheels and Craig. He's, uh, he's one of the best in the business. This is Kim on Cars with Kim. Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Thanks for listening. You're listening to America's Webradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.